glad that we only got like like, two sentences in. I'm like, why why do I have no waveform? (laughs) Okay, just making sure. It's been a busy week. I've been trying to get everything done. Okay, let's do this again. (laughs) Behold! The sword of power. Excalibur. Welcome to the Oh Gosh, Oh Golly, Oh Wow podcast, the podcast where we talk about the Marvel comic series Excalibur and nothing but Excalibur every week for 126 plus weeks. This week, Brian exploits his privilege, Megan reveals she can kill people with her mind, and the new Nightcrawler <laughs> takes center stage and proves he's a great leader by teleporting vertically. Excalibur number 97, Counterfire, was originally published in May 1996. Man, I'm getting the good laughs already. I love this energy. <laughs> And the creative team is Warren Ellis on writing, Casey Jones on pencils, Tom Simons on inks, Adrian Lenshock on colors, Richard Starkings on Comicraft on letters, and Suzanne Gaffney on editing. Midnight approaches. The witching hour. And as a sign of that hour, as a symbol of all that is evil, as the epitome and purveyor of this night of sins, I give you the queen of sin. Welcome back for yet more Excala nonsense with your loyal Excala crew. But who are we? Starting with myself, I am Dr. Anna Papard. I specialize in sexy scholarship on representations of gender and sexuality in comics and pop culture, in academic spots and popular ones, and at the Twitter account, Sequential Scholars, where Andrew and I might be talking about TMNT by the time this episode drops. Or maybe that's a spoiler. I'm not sure. But anyway, I also remain Kurt Wagner's unofficial PR manager and in that capacity. I can confirm that when he retells this one of the talk show circuit, He's definitely going to pretend that he had a plan. I am joined, as always, by Mav. Welcome back. How goes democracy? I mean, I guess it's fine. I, I, I kind of so I really like my my little side gig doing, um, you know, helping to run run elections in my in my district in in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. However, I don't know if it was worth it because you know, sure we've got democracy, but then I leave the show for one week and you discuss polyamory and professional wrestling and comic. Yeah. What the hell? Yeah. Like, like, couldn't it just been like, like it's like, oh, we're gonna talk about uh wrestling and doink the clown for a week you know randomly when mav's not here i'm the only person here who has fought doink the clown in real life yeah and i I, I, yes i have been in a wrestling match against doink i have photos um 
But no, we're not, we're not going to talk about that. We're, we'll save that for a week when Mav's not here. So, you know, I guess I guess we had an election here. Yay. Wow. I mean, it's just, <laughs> do you want to tell the doink story? Like, is there a story behind it's, it? Not there, well, no, there was, there's no real story. I was, um, I mean, doink is, uh, okay, so doink is a character from professional wrestling and he's a wrestling clown and not too early on but at one point in my wrestling career i had him i had a match with doink the clown and i lost because because clowns suck (laughs) (laughs) that was gonna be my first question (laughs) no no, clown there's no good point i mean the doink gimmick is is what it is you know he cheats you know the kids like to like to believe that i am a bad guy i was not a bad guy i was the hero of my own story um so 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 um, the kids enjoyed watching Doink um, beat me, but you know, I feel as though buckets of water and buckets of confetti and squirt guns and joy buzzers that are electric, none of those have any place in a wrestling ring. And, and you know, as, <laughs> like, like, and and I feel as though all of that was highly inappropriate, and he should have been disqualified about a dozen times before the match was over. That's how I feel. Also, whoopee cushions, no place in a wrestling ring. <laughs> but, <laughs> But apparently, but apparently, when it's doink, you can just do that sort of thing. Amazing. Um, yeah. Beyond that, hi, my name is Christopher Maverick. You can call me Mav. Uh, <laughs> I host podcast this another show called Vox Popcast, and and I'm a, a teaching assistant professor of digital narrative interactive design at the University of Pittsburgh in Pennsylvania. That's what I do. But you know, also I was a wrestler for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't believe it when you told us that you like sent over like a picture, and I was like. Wait, you wrestled Doink? We got to talk about that. Yes. <laughs> Amazing. Um, Andrew, what's your counter this week? My counter to democracy? Well, I don't know. <laughs> any, of, any of this. Any of this. We've opened up a swath of topics already. Are you against it? I'm for democracy, Andrew. How do you feel? <laughs> Put you on the spot. <laughs> um, social democracy, yay. <laughs> for, for Canadians. Um, I am Dr. J. Andrew Deman. I am a lecturer at St. John's University um, and co-project lead at Sequential Scholars, where I will commit to the spoiler and say that we should be working on um, TMNT, The Last Ronin, um, which is a book. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) I I have not read it yet, but I will try to come up with something smart to say about it forthwith. I hear good things. Continuing our kick of teaming up with fellow podcasters, we are joined this week by another one of those in Jamie James. Welcome, Jamie. Thank you so much. I just, I could rave for probably the length of your podcast about how much I love your podcast. It has completely changed my, I mean, saying it changed my life might be putting it a little bit grandly, but it has absolutely affected the way that I consume comic books um, when I'm reading them uh, in a significant way instead of, you know, over the sink, like you would eat a Big Mac. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I just, I am a huge fan. I I am just a sweaty mess, even uh, being on, just talking right now. Uh, Just, um, thank you so much for having me on. Just so happy. Oh my goodness. Well, let us reward your compliment of us by giving you an intro to hype you up a little bit and then we'll talk about your comics background and all that fun stuff so jamie is a lifelong comics reader with a specialization in marvel comics and a sub-specialization in obsessively reading x-men he's a friend of the shop to the eisner award-winning books with pictures comic store out in portland oregon was drafted as the third member of the marvel by the month podcast and is perhaps most importantly and i do agree this is very important a nate gray apologist wow yep, that's right i said it wow. or you said it i got you to say it <laughs> 
I didn't have to say it. Tune in next week. (laughs) (laughs) Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure to stop by. You're done. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry you have to leave. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I (laughs) saw. Well, we can cover that next time on our our spinoff (laughs) X-Men podcast. Oh my goodness. Uh, well, Jamie, we've interacted a little bit on Twitter before, and you already gave us so many nice compliments. So let's return the favor a little bit more and get you to talk about yourself. So, yeah, hit us with the comics origin story, Jamie. Have you been a lifelong comics reader? Your bio suggests as such. Yeah. I So, uh, I was a strange little kid. I was, I, I'm, I'm going to say it. Uh, I feel very close with your audience. I was a very, very smart little kid. I've every year that passed past a certain point i have gotten dumber and i'm now just like the, the <laughs> below below the average 50 percent line at this point um but yeah as a kid i had you know how all humans have inner monologues i i like i think i became aware of mine like prematurely and uh i thought that i was the only one that had one for like a long time um so i thought that i had is like, this like a, a cassandra power. nova charles xavier <laughs> thing where you're gonna... <laughs> oh man do i wish <laughs> i guess that story doesn't end well <laughs> Um, and then at some point I realized that, uh, other people also had them and that, uh, so social interaction for me was like trying to figure out what other people's inner monologues were. So I could like mm-hmm. make those inner monologues happy. And I was like, well, maybe they can hear my inner monologue. So it was just interacting was very stressful and, um, reading helped me focus. Cause I was only having like one conversation at a time instead of several. And growing up, we had the, I, maybe I'm alone here. I never hear anybody talk about this, but it was a Marvel superheroes fantasy jigsaw puzzle. It was, uh, I want to say 300 pieces. It had a bright yellow background. I found the date it's from 1983. Um, so I was doing that as a very young kid. And I think it like got its hooks in my brain, like right, right mm. back in the lizard brain part. And then, you know, the Marvel Universe cards came along uh, and then the X-Men cards. And then I was given a gift of Uncanny X-Men 277 and 280, which are for anyone who doesn't immediately know what those numbers are. Um, <laughs> that is the the X-Men are in space uh, going after Xavier, but he's off with the Shi'ar. And then I think 280 was like the end of the Mirror Island saga. And from that moment in, I was like completely hooked on the concept. Oh, wow. Like I felt great connection to the material and I wanted to know i wanted to fill in all the gaps of who the people were and what has happened so from there on in it was like sort of uh almost like cultural anthropology of just like digging in the dirt and trying to find the back issues and obviously pre-internet stuff that was like very challenging yeah Yeah, i was a weirdo i came to comics like through being a weirdo and like that kind of found family mentality really uh, resonated with you know a strange little kid that, that, I think you're the first person that said that they got into comics through a puzzle. We get the we get the trading cards a lot and the cartoon and like picking up the random issue. And in fact, I think Matt Lazowitz uh, said that one of his first issues was a Mirror Island issue last week. Yeah. Yep. Just last week. Yeah, I caught that. Yeah. So that's why. Sorry for the protracted story, but I just wanted to kind of bring my own flavor to how I Aww. arrived in this whole little little world. No, that's what I want to know about. Like, have you been a comics reader throughout? Have you dipped in and out over the years? Oh, man. I So uh, po- uh, comics for me is like, it comes from, man, it comes from a place of deep shame and embarrassment. All So like, <laughs> obviously nowadays, the nerds have won, right? Like yes. the nerd stuff is just worth trillions of dollars. Like any nerd thing is like the best. And I don't even understand what going to school must be like now. It just seems like a paradise where like, you can like Star Trek. You play not... basketball, we're beating you up. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like those poor jocks can we just take a moment and feel these poor poor athletic people um 
Yeah, I was just picturing like a whole spinoff movie where the job where it's like the Breakfast Club but inverted somehow. Um, <laughs> well, you know what I'm caught up thinking about is that I had to uncover my high school transcript for reasons this week, and Ooh. you know what my lowest mark in high school was in what? art. I got the lowest <gasps> mark in art, and I got what? like one of my highest marks in gym, confirming apparently that I am a jock. But um, oh my anyway, gosh, just whoa, that is a bombshell. I know, I know. I was shocked. I don't remember that at all. But um, anyway, <laughs> now I've completely um, derailed you, Jamie. I was asking you no, about your, no, no. your lifelong <laughs> about your lifelong love affair with comics. Please regale yeah. us further. So my um, yeah. So my my comic reading was kind of like a secret thing. Um, I discovered a box of my dad's comics from it actually turns out to be like 1973, 74. I realize now. Um, and it was like a mix of Marvel and DC stuff. But I would pile them in order from. I'm like a classic pleasure delayer. So anything that looked great, I put towards the back. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got through a bunch of DC comics that didn't I didn't care for. But the Fantastic mm-hmm. Four were in there when Franklin's powers were kind of starting to kick in. And some Spider-Man was in there with like Aunt May and all that. Or sorry, that was vague. Uh, Aunt May being with like Dr. Octopus, that, ah, that sort of yes. era. He had the death of Gwen Stacy, <laughs> which... I read as one of my first comics, not knowing oh, that it's no. like a pivotal turning point in the history of comic book like eras, basically. But I didn't know I it was I don't think I was supposed to be reading them at that point. So it was like kind of like a secretive thing. And it always felt like nerdy, but like maybe a little transgressive. So it was like a little bit fun also. And then yeah, by the time the X-Men cartoon came out, I had probably like three banker boxes of my own. But yeah, it wasn't something that I advertised a lot. So like I quit when I went to college to, you know, try and be cool. But I'm not cool. I will never be cool. I'm just not a cool person. Uh, My brain doesn't work that way. And that's fine. And I came back to it like uh, around the Bendis era, like the the Bendisification of of Marvel Ah. that kind of like brought me back in. So I worked forward and backwards. And I quit again when we moved to Portland. But I my walk to the company I was at, uh, there was a shop opening. And I like peeked uncharacteristically confidently, uh, peeked my head in and was like, hey, uh, what, uh, what, what shop will this be? I walk here every morning. And turned out to be katie uh pride said uh this is will be a comic shop and i was like oh no oh no uh (laughs) at which point i started reading like just all the comics it was pre me having a kid i had a billion dollars the discretionary income and was just reading like (laughs) most of what marvel put out it was it was uh a lot yeah, so I find that's, it so that's interesting kind of... the way the way like we always have these stories where we sort of dip in and out and like for various reasons. I always feel like comics find us again when we need them, you know? Yeah, yeah. That is very, very, very true in my case. Yeah, and like and and now that it's not like now that it doesn't feel shameful anymore, it's like such an odd place because it sits in my sort of in my heart in a different place than it sits mm. socially now. Like yeah, it's just a fascinating time to be a, a comic book fan. So well you've kind of alluded to some of your favorites and you've mentioned X Men as a favorite of yours. I mean, is that sort of your main marvel passion or i mean do you have other marvel passions that sort of drive your interest in comics or is like x-men one of your one of your main squeezes yeah i so i was i would say i was like i want to say i was like almost pure x-men stuff until like until probably that bendis era although there was like a strong infinity stuff like i i feel a weird love for adam warlock and the what ifs Mm. and cosmic stuff yeah so all that kind of starliny stuff is like very very juicy to me um and then uh and actually i happened to be in a comic shop the day that like uh was avengers disassembled was out and i was like what's this this art looks not embarrassing um well i'll check that out And that sort of just mushroomed into everything. So I'd say like, I'm like 70% X-Men, you know, 
20% the rest of it. And then like in more recent history, like your, your sagas, your sex criminals, all, all that, all that good. Mm-hmm. Sex more. criminals. Great book. Oh my God. Sex it's criminals, amazing book. Every, I, I know everybody listening to go like saga. Amazing. No read sex. Crim- I mean, I'm not, I'm not dissing Saga. So I'm just saying. <laughs> sex, I'm, not, I'm not saying don't read Saga. I'm oh, saying you heard it here, everyone. Like, he said don't read underrated, Saga. Criminally <laughs> underrated book. That was nice. I I enjoy both of them. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm not like as deep indie as some of my like cohorts at this time, but um, I'm, I'm like I'm I'm getting there. I'm just it's like it's scary. It's a scary world outside of Marvel. <laughs> There's so much to choose from. Where to start? So much. Yeah. If you don't keep those blinders on, like, oh my gosh. I know people always yeah, talk about Excalibur. how hard it is to get into like Marvel, but that it's like, yeah, but how do you get into indie comics? There's so much. Anyway, sorry. There's go ahead. so much. Uh, yeah. Uh, Excalibur was always one of my favorites, if not my favorite. I mean, it was definitely my favorite for long stretches. Um, it didn't have the like the mystery of like the X trader and stuff like that. Like there were just there was like more mythology that I could never get my hands around with mm. like some of the core titles that made them maybe like more appealing at times. But like I am a, just a nightcrawler at heart, um, and so him and I like I'm probably I was probably in love with Rachel for like most of my life. Um, so that that book was really like my my happy place. Um, Aww. Yeah, they wouldn't have been able to do the X Trader because everybody like all the readers would have just been like, "It's Brian, right?" Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah we're, right. All, it's, it's, we're all everyone. We all know we're clear Brian. on this. Yeah. <laughs> Well, let me um, ask you a yeah. little bit about your about your podcast. Uh, so, like, what was the origin of your podcast, and what's kind of what's kind of your format? Give us give us the little pitch for it. So, we walk through one month of Marvel comics at a time, starting with Fantastic uh, Four number number one in nineteen sixty. I want to say three. So 61. every month, 61. 61. Thank you. Yeah, sorry, the podcast sweat was in my eyes. I couldn't oh <laughs> couldn't my see God. my notes. <laughs> I, I'm uh, so not good at comic book dates, but I've taught that one many times. So that's one that I know. <laughs> yeah, right on, right on. Um, yeah, so what we do is we give uh, historical context for what is uh, what was happening during that month of history globally, you know, with a focus on the US, but globally, but also in publishing. So you kind of hear what's going on at all those other places yeah. and where all, where all the dramas are and where the wars are. And sometimes that bit of context kind of, twists your uh, appreciation of the comic book in some in some interesting ways you know not always but sometimes you can like see a layer below and kind of see what's like in the zeitgeist and is sort of bubbling up into pop culture so yeah it's pretty interesting that sounds awesome yeah i've listened to a couple of episodes and oh no way really you guys do a nice show over there of course of course gotta gotta listen up on our on our guests but um yeah let's get into the issue and uh i want to hear your thoughts on this one i liked this one okay and i'm i'm curious about what others are gonna have to say so let's get into it Uh, i know we've got lots of lovely listeners reading along with the pod we'd still never fire you but would instead counter with an offer of really valuable exposure in exchange for being our intern which would obviously involve doing really important stuff like writing plot summaries so that i don't have to but in the meantime (laughs) excalibur number 97 opens where excalibur number 96 left off with kurt wagner expert pilot about to wreck another airplane but as always it's not his fault the moonlight flit bearing himself megan and alistair stewart was fired upon by black air branded helicopters still the best spy agency over the ocean on the way back to the uk from westchester as the flit is unarmed megan and kurt will have to use their wits and powers to save them kurt teleports into a cockpit knocking out the pilots while megan manipulates the other chopper's electromagnetic fields rendering Mm -hmm. them 
relentless. They safely make it back to Muir Island and the team assembles to listen to to listen to Alistair Stewart's story of why Black Air are after him and by extension Excalibur. It has to do with them being in league with the Hellfire Club and dissecting aliens and exotic mythical objects. In London, Brian arrives at the Hellfire Club and meets with the inner circle. He claims his father's seat as the Black Bishop and while the kings and queens are happy to have him, Brian is met with decided hostility from the Red Bishop, who challenges him to a duel. Brian easily defeats him or more appropriately swats him away and is welcomed into the inner circle. Privately, he wonders which of them is Mountjoy in disguise. Meanwhile, beneath London, Black Air agent Scratch arrives at a strange doorway in the sewers. Behind it is what the inner circle and Black Air mutually desire. Back at Muir Island, Moira is concerned about Douglock, who tries to become whole and human by switching off his logic parameters to, quote, see what happens. He stands outside all day to experience nature, but in his confused state, he fails to recognize an incoming plane as a potential threat. The plane jabs him with a harpoon and takes off with Douglock attached to said harpoon. We will be revisiting that element of the story, obviously. So Jamie, coming to you first. First impressions of this issue. Are you reading it for the first time? What are you particularly eager to talk about? Oh my gosh. So yeah, any any issue of Excalibur prior to 100, I've read, I mean, between three and 12 times, probably. I mean, some awesome. of the stuff is, yeah, the, the staples are loose in my in my my paper copies. <laughs> um, having for my podcast, uh, like, you know, we read, I don't know, now it's like 20s plus comics every every week. And, you know, the quality varies. So one way to get through that or, or like an approach with it is to start with the assumption that this is probably the best comic ever written. And you start <laughs> there and you let the comic like chip away at that as much as it needs to um (laughs) so so i like my readings tend to be charitable for the most part or at least that's how i think of it i love Um, that approach positivity it's great right right we could use Um, we could use some more of that on this podcast lately (laughs) (laughs) yeah i thought that might be a counterbalancing statement uh with with this team i mean in terms of where the book's at it's it's like it's sort of it's like going through another puberty again. Like it's like, mm. uh, you know, the, the Apple photos, uh, where you like, it's got the, the motion thing. So you hold down the photo and you see like a little bit before and a little bit after like this issue feels like we've captured one of the like slightly awkward moments before and after like a good picture sort of. So it's like, <laughs> things are, <laughs> things are like nudging in, in the, in two directions, but it's still like a little wobbly. So like Megan's doing stuff. That's great. We love Megan. Is it the Megan? I know. No, not at all. But mm-hmm. like, I like that she's doing stuff. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. right. Uh, That's fair. Brian's like wearing ties again. Kitty's doing, you know, she's like flying the plane and saying sciencey stuff. There's a uh, there was a kitchen scene. Um, yeah. you know, it was dour yeah. and depressing, but still, it was like was a kitchen scene. Um, <laughs> I'm like, you've got Douglock like nudging forward towards being a specific thing, which is fun. Like, you know. <laughs> there there's things there i i think like the ones immediately after this sort of shape up a little bit more but yeah i thought this was like uh not not the worst start to to an arc or like the mid mid beginning arc sort of thing i do feel like yeah we're getting towards somewhere uh let me pick up your first impressions andrew and then we'll get to this nightcrawler scene as our first thing but let's get through some other first impressions first yeah how are you feeling about this one andrew i, I don't know there's some issues i have with the depiction of, of villainy here and, and the way that the the mm. black air story and is starting to be revealed and their motivations and intentions in concert with the hellfire club i, I think there's maybe some missteps there in terms of building a credible villain and building a villain with, with high mm. stakes 
weeks. And I think the issue maybe represents that in that we left with this cliff air of black air is coming to attack us in the sky and explosion. Uh, and then we come in and it's resolved pretty quickly and easily by Nightcrawler and Megan <laughs> just basically using their powers and nothing happened, right? <laughs> Um, so oh, yeah, you can fly. Yeah, <laughs> right, yeah, right. It, it feels a bit like um, another one of those issues that's treading water a little bit, and it's not really advancing character too much. Although it's trying to do some cool stuff with Doug Lock, so I, I'm kind of here for the ambition. But there's some <laughs> like missteps that I think maybe diminish this issue's impact for me. Yeah, I want to talk about Brian's confrontation with the Hellfire Club because that was the moment that I was just like, really? Like I was sort of with the issue until then, and then I was like really but we'll get to that mav how are you feeling about it it's fine um i don't hate it i i don't love it either and i i, I well i like it because i like kate i like casey jones artwork i recognize that ellis is trying to do a thing like oh okay doug lock this looks like this could be important later and it will be but it's not here so, you know, um, I think the problem is, and I wasn't here last week, but I've kept up with my homework. And um, <laughs> the problem is between the two issues, Ellis has about an issue and a half, maybe even only an issue and a third worth of story. Like he doesn't have two issues worth of plot to fill these two issues, but he just stretched it out. Like I would counter what Anna's saying and say, I think that potentially having Brian go off and join the Hellfire Club at the request of Shinobi Shaw, that could be an interesting story. It's not because right. it because right. they didn't do anything with it here. But I mean like I like I'm I'm intrigued by the idea, but instead between these two stories, you you had Megan and Kurt hop in a plane, fly from London to New York, pick up Alistair and fly back. And nothing of any consequence happens anywhere along there. Like, why did Alistair <laughs> right, show right. up? In, Alistair showed up last issue in New York, in Westchester, just so he could come back to Scotland. Like, there's the X-Men don't matter to the story other than just to remind you that this is a cohesive universe. And I felt like that a lot throughout this issue. So many things could have been streamlined if they just n not done them. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like the story. Like I, like, I I mean, yes, they went to New York to get Alistair. I get that. And the only reason they had to go was to get Alistair, so you might as well come back. But Alistair's only there because a writing decision was made to put him there inconveniently so. Like, instead, literally say he's in Ireland instead of Scotland. I mean, instead of New York, right? Like, I don't know why Ireland. It's just that it's closer. Or London. Or, like, literally anywhere else where it's like, oh, okay, so we flew there and flew back. It took an hour. As opposed to, we flew there and, and flew back. It took a day. You know, do, you think, do you think that's because they are trying to, like, tighten the, the straps with so the onslaught stuff doesn't seem so sudden it's like the integration yes. in the larger thing it, like is i that, think it's, it's like kind of an editorially sort of thing i think it's entirely just trying i mean the onslaught thing but also they just really 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 want this to be an x book and mm. and i'm fine with yeah. it being an x book it's more noticeable last issue where there are like eight see the story in bishop see the story in x-men see the story and there's not right. quite as many of that in this issue as there were last issue but it's still a lot of hey you know the x-men they're friends of ours we talk to them sometimes you know like there, there's <laughs> right. a lot of that it's it, uncomfortable and... in a way <laughs> in a way yeah it's like it, it's one of those things like i can see the 
the like what is it the crone and the t- and the batman the two batman like the uh, the optical illusion mm-hmm. like i can see both at the same time because <laughs> as a kid like i loved this book so much and i wanted other people to also love it and i was like oh the way to do that is to make it more x-men-y so like whenever they took a step towards doing that i was like yay it's all one big happy family except like this really isn't that book anymore so it's like it just feels like so it's like another tier layer yeah it's also the tie-ins are always and this will this is a spoiler for the rest of excalibur it's always going to be that way the tie-ins are one way right it it is the problem with um when Uh, the marvel cinematic universe used to cross over in agents of shield but it only went one way (laughs) their world their world affected shield but shield's world never affected the mcu and Uh, uh-huh. You know, I understand why that's done, but it just feels annoying for me to deal with, especially on this reread, because I have not been like when I read this the first time, I was also reading X Factor and X-Men and Uncanny X-Men. And like I was reading, but like for the show, unless I have to go through and read one of the crossovers, I don't. So it's just like, oh, Betsy was in a coma. I guess that happened at some point. I don't remember why. And I don't care. And things like that happen. So when the, when we have okay, I am going to join the Hellfire Club at the behest of Shinobi Shaw. I have to think, what is Brian's relationship to Shinobi Shaw? Does he have one? No, he doesn't. It's just there because Shinobi Shaw is a villain in X-Men and in X-Force. So this is to remind us that X-Men and X-Force exist in the same universe as Excalibur but it has nothing to do with anything right like you could just you could have easily tell, told the story with Brian hears that something bad is going on in the in the you know the London the London chapter of the Hellfire Club and Brian wants to check it out like that right that's, right. En- that's enough I don't need the X-Men of it all and it's just confusing to me because it just convolutes the story I actually am interested in the fact that um this is what I was hitting it before like I think it's an interesting story to say you know what brian really is a blue blood he's old world aristocracy he brian's got money he's got money money and we forget that because we think of him as the doofus of this team of of the superhero team but he's got a whole world going on and yeah of course he's a member of the hellfire club well that feels weird and then you but aren't they evil but maybe he's not like that would be an interesting story but instead i have to worry about next yeah i just it's just weird i sort of thought that the brian joining the hellfire club would be like like the uh the undercover cop has to do the drugs uh in order to prove that he's yeah. you know really you know it gets dark and then he's like maybe into it and like maybe he's making out with that uh the other lady and you know it just <laughs> yep. like maybe it gets really seedy like i kind of thought it was gonna do that but it didn't doesn't really do that that much if he has to go and yeah as a he has to partake in an orgy he has to cheat on megan he has you know for the mission i would (laughs) for the mission sure (laughs) or even just like we've decided that despite his you know invulnerability brian is an alcoholic so he's given up drinking what if brian just has to take a drink it doesn't have to be sexual. like if brian has to has to fall off the off the wagon for the mission that's interesting to me it's not gonna happen yeah (laughs) it's not there right well yeah that was my issue like i mean i was gonna talk about it later but since we're talking about it now like this version of the hellflyer club is just so weird to me and it got me really thinking about the ways that the x-men franchise is very sanitized in the 90s compared to the 80s i mean when you think about the like sadomasochistic sexual symbolism of the hellflyer club from the claremont era versus what we have here where people are still in generically sexy outfits but they're just standing around like a brightly lit sci-fi silver chamber there's nothing of that dominatrix sex club thing going on except 
and empty signs evident in sort of the design of some of the costumes. And like that just struck me as so strange because that was the point of the Hellfire Club, it yeah. seemed to me. But now they're yeah. just kind of like monologue villains in a generic right. lair. I mean, it's weird because the 90s has and we've talked about 90s success right and we've we've talked about the sexual overtones of the artwork and the gaziness of it and everything and that's all true but the 90s is very peculiar right we have in the 80s in the tail ends of the bronze age moving into the modern age when claremont is doing his run as it were <laughs> um he i've heard there's a it. lot of coke yeah, there's but there's a there's a lot of coded sexuality that is direct sexuality, right? Where he's trying to get away with stuff. Where like there's a lot of okay, this is really he wants to tell a threesome story, or this is really he wants to do a kink story, or this is really he wants to do a lesbian story, or this is really you know whatever he is dealing with at that moment, Chris does right. But now in the '90s, you have sort of a weird reversal where comics can be more explicitly sexual as the code era is dying um, and the image era is beginning. So you can have sexual display in a visual sense because of the artwork, but we also have this much more explicit Marvel is going to be the world and the domain of the young teenager. You cannot have direct acknowledgement of kink in the same way because this book is being aimed at a 13-year-old boy, not a 17-year-old boy. And mm. that matters. And it matters oh. a lot in a way that Claremont is getting away with it, mostly because even once the book becomes popular, no one's paying attention to stop him. I mean, like Wheezy and, and, and Lucini are there, are there, but they're not going to stop him. So he can do a weird psychosexual melodrama in a way that i don't think warren ellis can right now like mm. even if he wants to i don't think like he would not have gotten away with that we're, tr we're trying to sell a cartoon license people you know <laughs> like you can't we can't do that right D does doesn't one of the club say like that they switched the color patterns yeah. around yeah. because they don't want to be like the americans who are just yes you know off the evil yeah. right yeah I, I the whole thing I, of that is funny it's like oh the brits are less kinky than the americans <laughs> what universe are we living in <laughs> yeah i like i liked the idea that uh, that there are more hellfire clubs out there i like that opening to a larger mythology i think that is fascinating and that like maybe every nation in the world has a hellfire club and maybe mm -hmm. they come in all different flavors and maybe that's interesting and like we just in this case happen to get like a stiff uh unpleasant one you know like maybe it's so arist aristocratic that it just isn't fun i, I, I don't know there's like a, a seed of the concept that i like but well, it's um, trying to allude back to the actual hellfire clubs what for you know for people who are not as steeped in you know your victorian era literature it's not <laughs> just it's not just a comics thing right like there are hellfire clubs in you know the rakish you know society of 1700s britain Right. Like that's a thing. And I think it wants to touch on that. But um, can't, but I like, can't but do can't. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I gotcha. So I think one of the issues with the way that we see the Hellfire Club portrayed here, maybe there's a couple. The the first is that simply by having different Hellfire Clubs associated with specific nationalities, you're actually acknowledging the power center of individual nations, whereas mm -hmm. the original Hellfire Club was supposed to be pulling oh. the strings of the world, British, yeah. right? Ooh. So the fact that there yeah. is a British chapter and in theory a French chapter and all that kind of stuff, well, that just mm -hmm. means the, the status quo is still in place, that the nations are still operating the way they're supposed to. And then on the other mm -hmm. side of that, the Hellfire Club in this particular story is attempting to 
to seize power for a group of aristocratic individuals in the fucking British monarchy. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh <laughs> yeah. no, our monarchy might become an aristocracy. That yeah, 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 yeah. Level. yeah, sort of a hat on a hat. Huh? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that you mentioned that, Andrew. Thank wow. you. <laughs> yeah, that was insightful. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> oh no, heaven forfend. Uh, to me, it's also weird because this is an era like so the Shinobi Shaw of it all. I've never liked it. Uh, Shinobi exists because Jim Lee was Potashio. They like drawing cool looking Asian dudes like that's why. Right. Like that's where it happened. And and then they don't work here anymore. But when the upstarts take over, the message of it is, hey, out with the old aristocracy and in with the new aristocracy like that's what the upstarts were doing but if there are multiple chapters then we must believe that they only took over the american branch but it feels like these are young people in this british branch as well and like it does it does leave a lot of continuity questions like are they evil are all hellfire clubs evil or is it really just the american one and everybody else is just fine like is it because is the is the hellfire club by its very nature of you know being a secret society for aristocrats is that a natural evil thing or is it just that we have one that's being run by shaw celine and and frost and i don't know right and 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 this book doesn't tell me because brian doesn't have to think too hard about whether he's gonna go join he's like all right i guess i'll go yeah i'll go i mean i'm retired but i'll go work it out yeah right right right. He's like, oh, the Hellfire Club, they all their charities, their charity work is so strong and prevalent. Like, there's no, there's no I, I can very happily join this. Yeah, I feel like I'm reading a lot into it and like being like, well, I assume this is a critique of things. But then when you think about the way it frames the monarchy, it's very odd because, I mean, that doesn't align with what I would think Ellis's politics would be. But um, anyway, I did want to talk about this opening scene with Kurt and Megan, which was going to be the first thing I talked about. Well, we kind of went backwards, which is Ooh. fine. You know, this is like a multiversal podcast. That's not really, I don't know what. I'm trying I'm trying I'm trying you know you gotta make connections between the segments they don't always land but we do the best we can (laughs) I did I wanted to ask you about Nightcrawler Jamie because you said you're a Nightcrawler guy that he's one of your favorites we got the new Nightcrawler taking center stage advertised on the front of this comic we ostensibly have a big action set piece for him opening up the comic book but let me ask you the big question first about what resonates with you about this character i rhapsodize about the character lots but i love hearing other people talk about it yeah i mean he's just like the outsider amongst outsiders right like Mm. if if generation x was starting generation x the comic book like was starting when nightcrawler had been young like he would have been on that team he's like not presentable in the or at least they don't pitch him as presentable in the way that everybody else is he's like the most deformed by a pretty sizable margin and still manages to be you know so uplifting and unceasingly kind big-hearted and just well-intentioned and willing to sort of willing to organizationally flex and contract to, to scale essential like if if we need a leader he will do it and he always has been willing to do it but if not then he is like okay in the background or has grew to become okay in the background i just yeah i i and like my heart always broke for him for the megan situation uh i know i know there's complicated feelings about that uh um, amongst the crew here um but that oh that i always like was rooting for them like pretty hardcore yeah also you know you know megan and blue is just an awesome look like they just would have been an awesome couple yeah um 
<laughs> yeah, but that's not wasn't wasn't meant to be in our in our reality. Well, we have uh, them teaming up for this scene, so let's talk about the scene a little bit. Like, did it live up to the cover promise for you? Was this a pulse pounding action scene for you, Jamie? Were you impressed by it? Oh man, I remember. I hate to say it. I remember not liking this cover at the time. I, he just looked very angry and doesn't have eyeballs. And I was like, I'm very pro yeah. eyeball. In co- I know that's like a provocative stance <laughs> these days, but I remain pro eyeball for my characters unless you're Storm using powers. That's the only exception. Yeah, you know, I like. I kind of do like the goatee. I, you know, I'm 90s enough that that works for me. If you are doing an action sequence and you start your action sequence with helicopters shooting at your audience, that's like not the worst decision you could make. You're like, you know, yeah. that was like kind of a good start. I did think it was a little cute that Alistair says like his whole character. It, he only gets one line in the first half of this comic. <laughs> And it is his character. He says, uh, they found me. We're all going to die. Like that's, <laughs> that's like literally all he's doing. Like he, that's the subtext, but that's his only line. That made me chuckle a little bit. Uh, you know, it's like I said, it's nice to see Megan doing stuff. It's not the stuff that I would have chosen, but like she has a consistent shape, which I guess is like a good direction for her i i always really like the shape-shifting stuff that always made me very happy especially Mm -hmm. like metaphorically and on all those levels that you all have discussed better than i ever could um so like now she's like one thing and her power is standing and pointing which like isn't the most feminist thing in the world but she's like also a powerhouse which is kind of cool you know she's definitely this month yeah which is maybe okay i don't (laughs) like i don't quite know what to make of it what do you think? Like, what do you guys think about that? Yeah, I was really like, what are her powers? Like, she's she's yeah. Sue, she's Sue Storm crossed with Magneto now, and as I alluded to in the summary, she throws in that line that she could disrupt the electromagnetic fields of the humans and yeah, just kill can. them. And yeah. I'm like, oh, so she can kill people with her mind now? That is yeah, yeah. wild. She, and she's still doing. It's like she's still doing it by talking to the fundamental forces of nature or whatever. Like they introduced sure. in the, the the strife thing. <laughs> like it's still like it's not like the power version of the power it's like the old school female communication version of the power which like it's I magic think is, but science yeah but like <laughs> feelingsy magic. magic i don't know I, something about <laughs> it doesn't sit like properly i don't think yeah mm-hmm. Nope. I mean, I feel like there'd be a way to do it. Like, I mean, again, I can envision doing a reading of it where I'm all like, oh, like maybe it's inverting that because look how powerful that is to tap into that. But it's still like, yeah, I think it's just hard. Like if this was like a totally new character, it would read differently to me than it does read. Because again, I'm just looking at these pages, as you said, you know, doing the point and shoot, shoot powers, sort of pose sexily in space with her new strapless costume. <laughs> and I'm just like, well, we you to have Megan sort of shape-shifting into Wolverine and slashing people apart and I definitely liked that Megan more than I like this Megan so it's a bit difficult for me but I'm moving forward I'm going to resolve to try to take this Megan as a new character and not be so hung up on the old no. Megan I'm, right. I'm going to make a conscious effort no. to try to do that <laughs> I have a no argument <laughs> okay. okay go for so, it Andrew yeah. Okay, so Respect Megan has been a thing for me since we started this podcast, because there's yeah. a great character there, an amazing character there. Somewhere. Um, somewhere. Somewhere. Deep. Deep. Here's yeah. the thing. When we talk yeah. about the sexualization of a character in terms of like privileging their appearance, 
over, say, their function within the narrative, um, that's considered innately dehumanizing. But along those exact same lines, if you can't write the character consistently, if you've been on this book for as long as Ellis has been on this book, and he doesn't know who she is, what her voice is, or what her power set is, that screams that she is nothing but eye candy. You know what I mean? Mm. That's the ultimate disrespect to this character. That's fridging her effectively. And even if you're empowering her week to week, if you can't do it consistently and you can't explore how that affects her as a character, her drives, motivations, desires, and relationships, then all you're doing is making a sexy, powerful lady. And I I hate that for Megan because, again, there was a really good character there. It just gets to the heart of, you know, what we talk about when we talk about agency, because you can get into these these discussions with people, right, where they're like, but she has so much power, she can kill people with her mind. So by default, she has agency. But it's just like, but agency has to be character based as well. So if she doesn't have a defined character, it's like you're saying, right, she's got the appearance of agency, but with nothing to back it up, right? Anyway, Jamie, please go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna ask if the, um, if you thought that Sigourney Weaver line towards the end, I like a reference was a reference to who she is, right? Like, she like was educated from watching TV and the, and the lighthouse yeah. back in the old days, right? That's what it is. Yeah, that's how so, I took it. Yeah, yeah. I like. I felt like that was like maybe a step in the right direction of tethering her, but so a little too. bit too late, too little, too late in your. In I your... don't. I don't think it's too little, too late. I just think he doesn't. So counter addendum to Andrew's counterpoint. I don't, <laughs> think, I don't think it's fridging her because I have a very specific definition of that term. I don't think she's advancing anybody's narrative through her own trauma i think she is a deus ex machina that is the like like megan's power is to be sexy powerful lady who can do whatever we need her to do in this book and that's what she does she's just ellis's escape clause because he doesn't have anything better to do with her and i think it's i think Anna starts to hit it at the very end you know she's a powerful character and that makes her and she's female so therefore she is definitionally a strong TM female character like Uh. she's literally she literally is strong and she literally is female and she's literally a character (laughs) ergo she's a strong female character and and that's and and she's not right because that's not what we mean when we use that term except I said we because I mean, that's not what the four people you're, who are talking about right now mean. With, yeah. But for some people, that is what they mean. This is a this is an era where who could win in a fight, Batman versus Superman, stops being the setup for some you know Dark Knight Returns complicated thing, and it's more just that I just want to see them fight. Right? It's the Zack Snyder of it all. Eventually, it's the hey, this person's awesome. Because they kick ass, because they can beat anybody, and not understanding, yes, but anybody can beat anybody if I just write a story where, if I write a story yeah. where Aunt May beats Galactus, she just does. It's the entire point of Squirrel Girl, right? Like, now Squirrel Girl can be written well, but the joke originally is just like, no, we're just gonna have her always win because that's the joke, right? So I think Megan is falling into that trap to where, hey, Brian's no longer going to be our all-powerful powerhouse. It's just going to be Megan. What else is there to her? I don't know. She watches TV. Uh, (laughs) And like, there's no story there because I don't think Ellis is interested in 
the girl who might be a fairy. I don't think Ellis is interested in the being torn between my alcoholic boyfriend and, you know, my svelte crush blue guy. Like, he's not interested in those other stories. <laughs> but those sound like so, great stories. They are, but he's not. But but that's not what we're getting. So yeah, she's left. Right. She's left with nothing because she she doesn't even have a, a last name yet. She doesn't have a last name. She doesn't have a superhero name. She's just Megan. She is an empty vessel to come in and punch stuff when they need her to. I think that we're noticing it and we're trying to make a criticism of it because she's female. And I don't think it would be any better if she were a male character. I just think that she is a poorly written character under Ellis. And again, mm. I'm I'm not like I I have on previous episodes defended Ellis as a writer, mm -hmm. as a writer. <laughs> um, this is not his, this is not his best writing. This is not his. This no, is not a character young. that I feel like he he's cares young. about right. at all. And it, well, he's young, and I don't think he cares. I think he's just got. I, I think job. he's got this character who. I, yes, <laughs> and 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 it's bad, and and it's bad, and like, and it probably is better sir. So if this were if this were an Avenger story or an X-Men story, someone would come in and like in, in the Avengers, I've got a new writer. The entire team's gone except for Captain America. In the X-Men, I've got a new writer. The entire team's gone except I'm keeping Cyclops, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can do that. I think that they were allowing, you know, okay, we can get rid of Kylan and we can get rid of, but they're trying to keep some continuity with the past of Excalibur. And so he's just sort of married to the core team minus Rachel. And I don't think he cares about Brian and Megan at all. And he's, he's at least trying to do something interesting with Brian. I don't think it is interesting, but he's trying to do something interesting with Brian and Megan. He's got nothing for, it's just like, I, we got nothing for you. So you're going to come in and punch stuff when we need you to. He'd rather talk about Pete wisdom and, and, and Doug Lock. Lockheed. <laughs> and Lockheed. Yeah. <laughs> Lockheed, right. Yeah. I mean, but, but I mean, those are the, those are the things that interest him and Megan's just kind of there. And like, he's interested in Kitty. He's interested in rain. He's interested in Doug Lock. He's like, Megan is just there, and I don't like. I think we're trying to find interesting things to say about her, and the truth is, there's just nothing interesting. She's this iteration of that character is not written in an interesting way. She's got nothing going on. Like, tell me what she wants. What is her? You know, we just did that. We did that episode about like the amazing Nightcrawler alternate reality thing. So oh, much yeah. more characterization in that than there is in this. This is a vessel of a character who shows up to wear a hot outfit and punch things. And that's just what she is here. And wear these cool fingerless strappy gloves. I was going to talk about yeah. that later. I, I actually, okay. I, I actually, so I, uh, that was going to be my, that was going to be my final thought. No, we'll, 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 go, we'll go back to it. We'll go back <laughs> nice. to it. Okay. No, no, I, I didn't, I didn't necessarily want to go on a tangent about those. Yeah. I was going to talk a little bit about the fight mechanics of this scene mm -hmm. because I mean, go what lets it. me down mm -hmm. about it a little bit is that I really like the setup of this scene. Like I agree, like the shooting that starts the scene. It's great. It's a great, setup and you know having kurt and megan if it was the former kurt and megan with the powers that i'm used to having them having dealing with this i think would be really interesting with megan basically being phoenix now it's yeah. a little bit more challenging because uh -huh. you know what does kurt actually have to do here like he goes and teleports and punches and kicks people but i'm like but megan could have just fixed it all with her mind right yeah and that yes. is a little bit a part of my problem here because this is supposed to be a meaningful moment for Nightcrawler and I don't mind that Megan is the more powerful one that was the nature of their powers originally regardless her powers of course would have been more powerful than his but 
I don't know. Like, I don't mind the little joke about, like, he, him not having a plan and him being the leader. And yet, because Ellis hasn't really done anything to sort of situate what Kurt's leadership is, that joke doesn't really land for me. I'm like, I think we kind of did need a moment proving that Kurt can make plans and be a leader because we haven't had that reiterated in quite a while now. So I was disappointed that there wasn't something more interesting like with Kurt's teleportation or powers or planning, like something where we would have seen character building throughout this fight rather than, again, just using the just like machina of Megan to solve everything and Kurt's quite incidental to this entire fight, even though he's centered on the cover and we're promised this yep. Nightcrawler action <laughs> right, this is a showcase. this comic. Right. Yeah. This is <laughs> so, like, so like, I just found that a bit disappointing. Like, not in a way I'm mad at it. I'm just sort of like, eh, I think we yeah, could have more creative here. Yeah, there's that line towards the end too where he's like, uh, I w- uh, the oh, back in my circus days, like I used to find this sort of thing thrilling or something like that. And it, it just made him sound like he's he's like moved on from something that i don't think he has yeah i was like that's not who this person is is it yeah Yeah. i didn't i didn't like that bit is he just too old for this shit was like right 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 but i'm like oh god he's like 24 he's so over the hill i mean i don't anyway i appreciate the mention of the mechanics of kurt's teleportation you know that thing of like he can teleport horizontally easier than vertically which does reckon back to to one of my favorite cockroach issues but it's just not there's not something interesting done with it here compared to things that we've done with that in the well, past. And again, I just wish that there'd been a bit more there. I wanted to ask you about that because it, it, what your reaction to it was. I do appreciate the acknowledgement that his powers work in this weird spatial thing. It, he has always had trouble going up and down and down's really bad because he can go squish. I don't recall him ever being in pain from teleporting up. That's implied. And it, it, it very much says that. And I was like, uh, that's not, that's weird. Like he teleports up and down, you know, a lot, like in his little monkey bar gym, he does it all the time. (laughs) Yeah, right, right. I think it depends how far he's going. I mean, I can think of lots of examples where he's done teleports and been in pain. And there's certainly plenty of examples where he passes out after a teleport. Yeah, but that's usually, that's usually because I pushed the limits. Like I went four miles instead of three. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was assuming he like went fairly far in this example, but I mean, again, the mechanics are handled so inconsistently. I don't even like feel like getting into it. (laughs) Did did the like floating, like some of the pages are on a white background with the panels sitting over it and some are not. And I was trying to figure out if there was like rhyme or reason to that. Yeah. And I didn't come up with a like sort of thesis about it. And I, yeah, no. did, you, did you notice that at all? Yeah. I don't think there's any, I, I think there's any logic to it. There's no, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, maybe there's something I don't know about comic writing that when it's on a white background, it makes it look like I don't even have a I think they're trying to do, I mean, I think they're trying to differentiate different segments because like the Brian ones are in darker storylines and the Megan and Kurt ones are in bright. Yeah. Like, I, I don't, I don't think there's a logic to it so much as a just trying to do some visual separation. And I don't think it really, I don't think it scales as well as they intended it to. Mm, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. I've been reading <laughs> Bart Sears, Brutes and Babes columns lately for Old Wizard magazines, which are, they're of, they're of varying quality, but I mean, there was a good one that he talked about having to do with panel layouts and, you know, he was very strict about about like when should you have a panel overlapping or when should you have a character extending outside of a panel and he was like never do this unless it's a real point of emphasis and then when I look at pages like this I do have him in my head a little bit being like huh I don't know Bart for all of his exaggerations would probably <laughs> right. say that this was
reckless aestheticization for the sake of aestheticization and i think he'd be critical of it but even though it looks cool i'm not criticizing i do like jones as an artist but yeah there's a lot of just like things are done because they look cool and that feels like the main motivation which you know is not bad i read every i've read every one of those bart columns by the way and um (laughs) he has rules that i don't think he follows as faithfully as yeah 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 <laughs> that does not surprise me. <laughs> anyway, um, I wanted to talk about the Doug Lock thing, but we're also running a bit long, so I think maybe we'll go to final thoughts. And if somebody wants to talk about Doug for the final thought, we can. Otherwise, we can revisit his character journey issue. in a yeah in a future <laughs> issue. So I'm not too worried about it. But um, Andrew, anything that you would like to circle back to or bring up that we didn't get a chance to talk about yet? Sure. One other sort of structural frustration um we've been hyping black air for a long time uh and here it's revealed that they're in support of the hellfire club doing hellfire club stuff and that to me was a little disappointing as well i I want them to have their their own thing it just kind of feels like a weird handoff to a new villain that you've introduced to i mean black air could have been doing this stuff too except it wouldn't have been under that name hellfire club so like what was the point of the black air i guess other than allowing us to explore x-files stuff for a little while um and then doing this sort of weird know the real power all along was these guys um i don't know i i thought that was kind of a misstep especially the way that the book has been centered around pete wisdom um so yeah it just it just feels really odd structurally to me i had a question about scratch too actually um is he so later on when um mav's favorite uh mutant x-man shows up uh when they do the the mutant shaman bit for the last the last bit of the x-man title he goes into the multiverse and encounters uh like different madelines and she's served by a man named i think mr scratch um who is like very angry and violent or something um and i i that's ellis too right he wrote that i was wondering if it was the same guy like if if it's the same scratch like throughout the multiverse or something wow that did not occur to me i don't know if i've ever actually read that i know i mean i know the story you're talking about i've seen it i don't know if i've ever read it i will say ellis is a continuity junkie huh so, so I bet it is. Um, I mean, not necessarily, um, not necessarily for everybody's, but for his own. He likes to build a mythology. I and I and again, I don't know the character, but it's not the kind of thing that he would have done on accident. Is my take on him as a writer? Oh, whoa, oh. yeah, that's cool. All right, tweet at us, people who remember that series. Give us, give us your votes because I, I love that potential connection. That's interesting. Um, another connection uh, I noticed. I, you guys probably don't know anything about the Age of Apocalypse because I, I know it wasn't covered on on your show. I don't know what you're talking no, about. That, yeah, no. Never heard of it. Um, but there was uh, there was uh, an Excalibur book there, called, um, and there was a character called the, uh, the Damask or D- Damask. I don't know. I'm from Long Island, so I don't, the accent. I don't know how you say <laughs> things with that many A's in it. But the Black Queen in this is her. And like that's not a character I had seen anywhere else except for those two places. Perhaps Ellis building that mythology again. Yeah. Thank you for pointing that out. I I mean, I haven't read Age of Apocalypse, so I don't know sure, where sure. that character yeah, originated. I've, but if, if you I ever had, get around to it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll have to check never that heard out of it. at some point. <laughs> I don't know this thing you're talking about. But again, that is the kind of thing that he does enjoy doing. So cool. That's neat. Mav, talk about the gloves if you'd like, or if you have a different find final thought hit me with that it's well it was um i did want to talk about the artwork um a little bit and that includes the gloves it's a it's a couple of things as an addendum to things that i missed um i I talked about you know missing the talk about about wrestling but there was a discussion and we talked about this a little offline about about kurt's beard 
which I actually very I very much enjoy. And I think Carlos Pacheco made some very interesting choices with the redesigns of Kurt and of Megan last issue. And as far as 90s outfits go, I actually like Megan's new outfit. Ariana Linshock has done a change between last issue and this issue where she's decided the top is green instead of yellow and it creates a weirdness. It makes Megan's belt look like it's floating all the time. It's not. Mm. It's it's actually um, the X is a brooch kind of thing that is pinned to her side and it is more obvious when the top is yellow than it is. Oh. When it, when, so like what I would have done is I would have made I would have allowed the top to be mostly green and given her kind of a sash like belt in the middle where you can see that she has a sash like belt that comes that comes around the rib cage. Um, but since it's all green now, it's not it's not as obvious what's going on. That said, I love the choice that, again, Carlos has made and Casey has, has covered it up, has continued with it, of giving Megan shin guards to wear on her on her wrist and forearms. <laughs> like, like, that's what those are. Those are okay. those are those are soccer shin guards. I have a pair <laughs> like from when I played soccer. I don't know why she's wearing them on her wrist, but I think it's a look. And I well, think they, it works. They just played soccer, right? Like, I mean, an issue ago, two true. issues ago. That is true. Yeah. They so were they... Play, yeah, they were playing soccer. Yeah. So they're not gloves. They're not gauntlets. Her powers don't do anything where she would require gauntlets or gloves. It's just a cool look to have. I, I, and I guess they're supposed to be bracers, but they don't look like bracers. They look like shin guards. And it works for me. I, I, I actually think it's a cool look. I think as far as, um, I mean, there was nothing wrong with her previous costume. I, I liked her previous costume. I even liked her original gold costume. But but as far as 90s outfits go, I think given who Megan is such that we know who she is, I, I, <laughs> I, I think it's clever and I think it's understated enough for a character who's who's defined by the fact that she's just supposed to be the most beautiful ever. Sure. Like I like I, I think this works for for her. I think Carlos draws it a little better than Casey does. But Casey is, you know, Carlos is the artist of record. Casey is the dedicated is, is the dedicated villain. And so, you know, fine. It's a look. <laughs> I mean, I, I have two quick thoughts and then I'll let you have the final word, Jamie. Loved Kurt's casual look in the kitchen scene looking great love the little sweater and the jeans great oh, so choices cute. so cute so cute it's great and um just the thing where megan talks to the guys in the helicopter and like they can hear her through the <laughs> helicopter noise and everything and she's like i know you can hear me and i'm just like is she also psychic now is she doing telepathy i just that was weird but um anyway i don't want to harp on it that was my brief final thought but jamie anything that you would like to circle back to or bring up that we haven't got a chance to talk about i wouldn't mind talking about the days of future present bit the a bunch of issues ago uh, i know that's like outside the purview of the of the thing but like well it's um, it's foreshadowed it's sort of foreshadowing for what happens here so yeah and like on the foreshadowing or hand, future shadowing i don't know yeah <laughs> um yeah the shadow goes in both directions that's what it is mm. um <laughs> I, I really like i mean i love a prophecy and like it's just satisfying when a prophecy is like kind of snapping into place i think it is 
cooler when it takes longer. You're mm. like, like I was saying earlier, your, your longstanding X mysteries, you know, that just take forever to resolve. Even the, the legacy virus I know has been like going on for a long time, but like Strife's business and what Zero has to do with it and all that, that seemed like what they were going to do. Like they were setting up kind of a long thing that they could slowly snap into place over time. And the fact that it is happening so quickly, I like, I don't love that only because I wanted it to be awesome. You know, like I wanted to sit with that mystery for a little bit longer before getting some, some of those breadcrumbs. But I do like, and I do like that it indicates that there was a plan at least that far back to a degree. Yeah, yeah. I do like the way things are sort of coming together. And yeah, because we've had a couple of comments on Twitter lately, you know, saying we're being a bit hard on this era. Aww, <laughs> like, aww. Are we? I thought we, I thought we were being nicer because like I, <laughs> oh I'm God. enjoying stuff other than like I'm, I'm enjoying this book far more than I have for the last 20 issues. Yeah. I know, I know, I know. But I think it's like kind of a thing where the issue by issue format is hurting us a little bit because this is a pretty long story that kind of Ellis sets up beginning with the introduction mm -hmm. of Pete Wisdom. So I think sometimes we end up being harder on individual issues than we might be oh, if maybe. we were talking about the storyline as a whole. Oh, I don't know. I, 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 I mean, if people are, if, if people are worried about that, I mean, I was, we, we talked about this behind the scenes stuff. We talked about how are we going to deal with the Ellis of it all? Cause, because, you know, of his personal problems, people want it to be about that. And we made this decision that we were not going Going to make the show about talk you know rehashing we did it once but we're not going to rehash his personal issues every so i thought we were being really nice and i mean we're not going to we're not going to gush about the book as much as we did about the first run because we adore the first run so right. is, he, is, is it covering is this the cross time caper or is this no but like i like this story <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, I have criticisms, criticisms of it, but I have criticisms of everything. That's what we do. I, I, I didn't think we were that harsh. I mean, if people are saying that, I'm, I'm like, sorry, I, I swear we like it. Oh my god. Yeah, I, as long as you're not, you know, you don't ask your refrigerator to cook your food, right? So like, right. <laughs> as long as you're taking this book for what it is, you know, encapsulated within a certain stretch, then I think like that's as best as you can do, right? I well, we appreciate your injection of positivity this week, Jamie. <laughs> Although I am going to counter it. With with my choice of letter from the sword strokes letters column which oh <laughs> is from jeff cozy in providence dear sword strokes this letter is probably too late for real effect for excalibur number 100 but a trend needs to be addressed in the 1980s marvel comics redefined their placement in the comics market in the field it pioneered and perfected the team book concept x-men was running strong the fantastic four reached new heights of success under john byrne and the avengers reintroduced the black knight and gained new members such as namor it also started several new team books the new mutants alpha flight west coast avengers x-factor and excalibur all of these books possessed excellent potential each also Seated, issue number 100. And there the pattern begins. In New Mutants number 100, the team died, resurrected a few short months later as X-Force. In Alpha Flight number 1, Mockingbird, the Bride of Hawkeye, died. In X-Factor number 100, Multiple Man died, supposedly. Now, Excalibur number 100 approaches. Please continue the trend. I vote for <laughs> Megan. Oh no, what? <laughs> wow. Coping with her sudden demise just may make Captain Britain interesting, i.e. maladjusted, <sighs> drunken blowhard again death to megan says <gasps> oh, oh my gosh <laughs> i don't know if i disagree with that oh wow. no oh dear <laughs> can of worms opened fast. right at the, right at the end of the podcast oh, poor, no. poor megan <laughs> staying 
There's a meeting of the round table. No, I can't. I'm, we don't have time to get into that, so I think we're going to wrap things up here. <laughs> You'll have to take it up with Jeff, Andrew. But um, yeah. Jamie, <laughs> all the thank yous for joining us. Before we go, we got to remind our lovely listeners of what you get up to. If you would like folks to find you online, whereabouts can they find you? And what are the projects you want to spotlight that you want our listeners to check out? Yeah, I, I, thank you. And and again, like you three are amazing. Um, you're doing oh. such a service for so many people. And I, I think that you are like definitively unable to appreciate what you're doing for folks because it's like driving right like dri- like driving is the combination of how many different uh, mechanical and perceptual things right that but if you if someone was like oh you pilot a vehicle well you'd be like yeah i guess you know like i press the gas and it goes where i want it to go like it's not that big a deal right because like that's how it is with comics like you have this um ability to see it in ways that like that common person does not and it it just it's a joy week after week. So again, thank you on behalf of all, all the fans. Yeah, I it just it's great. As for me, uh, the, my my podcast, uh, we're a goofy bunch. Um, if you like this podcast, you might like our podcast. I think you would. I'm pretty sure. Like I said, each week Be we cover confident. the history. They would love it. We're recommending love it. it. It's why you're here. They'll, yeah, I mean, <laughs> if they haven't heard me talk enough already and for some reason want more, you can go uh, listen to that. Um, yeah, I, I think I come in regularly around issue uh, episode 100. Um, and that's uh, Marvel by the Month. Uh, there are links to our socials and our shop and all that stuff. We are incredibly privileged to have been able to talk to so many amazing uh, professionals. I'm going to list a bunch. I got the list down from like a bajillion to still too many. But we've talked to like uh, Tom Brevoort, Steve Englehart, Chelsea Kane, Brad Michael Bendis, David Walker, Mark Wade, Matt Fraction, Steve Bissett, Dave Duanch, Paul Levitz. Steve Bissett, Mike Allred. I mean, like the list goes on and on. It's crazy. I, we, it, we're so lucky. And um, you know, we're building kind of, kind of an archive of these people who have like all this crazy knowledge of, of times like long gone. And they're, they're fascinating to listen to. So if you can stomach listening to more of me, uh, to, you can get some great stuff from a lot of like really amazing people with crazy insights. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you so much for, for joining us and for hyping all that awesome content. Yeah, anytime, anytime. Next, we will be discussing Excalibur number 98, Fireflies. And folks, it's time. It is time to discuss one of the most outrageous costumes in comics, which just so happens to belong to one Mr. Kurt Wagner. We'll have full team coverage with a fabulous returning guest. In the meantime, if you liked what you heard, please follow us, like, and review the podcast wherever you're listening to it or watching it. Don't forget to check out our fabulous YouTube videos, which we've done for many of our earlier episodes. You can find those via our website or the Vox Popcast YouTube channel. As always, if you want to chat with us about Excalibur or pitch yourself as a guest for a future episode, do let us know. You can reach out via our website, goshgollywow.com where we've got some fun extras and via twitter at goshgollywow where we post daily pages from whatever issue we're reading that week and more fun extras thank you mav and andrew for another privileged combo thank you jamie for infiltrating high society with us thank you all for listening and a special thanks to maximilian of thoughtform music for our truly epic theme song play us out i'm gonna remember to stop recording